Welcome to the show. Here's my dad. On this episode of the Infant Adoption Guide podcast, you'll learn about the four things you should prepare for before you adopt. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Infant Adoption Guide podcast. My name is Tim Elder. I'm a dad of three through infant adoption, and this is where we talk all about domestic infant adoption. It's where you get the inspiration, the resources, and the hope as you start on this adventure that you're thinking about 24-7, that is building your family through adoption. I've been there, I've done that, so I know how what it's like, and thank you so much for joining me today. And I just want to ask you, where are you on your adventure, your quest to adopt? You know, if you're just starting out or maybe you feel stuck in your current situation with working with an attorney or an agency, there is help and there is hope. I know from experience it can feel just overwhelming trying to figure out who to trust, how to find the right and best adoption professional to help you. And I want to help you cut that through that overwhelm. Not only learn how and where to find the best infant adoption agencies, but to choose the right one, the one that you can trust all the way through your adventure to build your family through adoption. And I've created a new brand new guide that's going to answer these questions. It's called how to find the right adoption agency in four steps. And this is a free resource for you, free guide. It walks you through where to find infant adoption guide or infant adoption agencies. How do you, how do you evaluate them? And then choosing the right one for your journey and just go to findmyadoptionagency.com and you're going to see how to get that free guide. Uh, just put your email address in there or your first name. That's all you need. Send me that and I'll get you the free guide and more information about how and the best ways to find an agency. It's findmyadoptionagency.com to start getting the help you need. Okay, on to today's show where we talk about the four things you should prepare for as you adopt. And we're on to the interview right now with Paige. Okay, on today's show we have Paige Knipfer. She's a mom through adoption and or two times, and now she is helping others adopt as an adoption consultant through her company called Love Grown Adoption Consulting. And I connected with Paige uh, as we we're both members of the HelpUsAdopt.org Adoption Professionals Council, and she is clearly passionate, as you will find out, about changing the adoption world and by empowering us, uh, all, all of the adoption triad, but specifically uh, hopeful adoptive couples by pushing for ethical, inclusive, and honest adoptions focusing on the entire adoption triad. So welcome, Paige, to the show. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Yes, pleasure to have you. Uh, I, I love that you got into adoption, your mom through adoption, and then you realized how much you want to help people, and we're going to get into that. Uh, and then specifically the four things, uh, I really love the topic, four things you should prepare for before you adopt. And these are things that you felt you weren't necessarily prepared for. So I, I think it's great uh, that you're going to share your experience with those because we get a lot of folks that have never uh, adopted and are maybe even just starting to get interested in adoption. So I think this is really going to help a lot of folks. I'm thankful for you to come on. And uh, I really want to start with you telling your story of how you came to adopt both of your kids and how old they are right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we started our journey with infertility, unfortunately. Um, we went to the fertility clinic, and they do genetic testing right before you start doing IUI, which is a treatment prior to IVF. And we found out we were both carriers of cystic fibrosis mm. uh, on top of the fact that I've had four open heart surgeries. Oh, so our child had a higher chance of heart issues, and I did, and then cystic fibrosis. And for us, that just kind of was the deciding factor that maybe we should not pursue fertility treatment. So I never did IUI and we started looking at adoption. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into um, as far as that journey. Um, and we started looking into domestic infant adoption um, and we adopted our daughter in 2015. So uh, we were there the day she was born. Her birth mom handed her to me. Uh, and we have an open adoption relationship with both birth parents, which I love. Um, we FaceTime, and her birth mom and I actually talk weekly, if not more. We're very connected. Um, and then we decided to pursue adoption a second time. 
and my son is now two, uh, and we adopted him at birth as well. However, he came early um, and unexpectedly, and so we were there actually the day after he was born. That evening, his birth family did FaceTime us, though, which was really nice to see him and the family um, before we were able to get there. Um, and yeah, and they're doing good. Um, my daughter started virtual kindergarten, yay COVID, and uh, my son is in daycare. <laughs> I do work full time, so I work for a financial institution, and then I do love grown adoption consulting as a passion outlet. Um, I did a lot of article writing, if you Google my name, for like America Adopt, and then I did political advocacy work for the state of Wisconsin, which is where I reside, and I kind of kept coming back to how I could make a small dent in this process, and so that's where Love Grown was born. Did you use an adoption consultant when you were on your journey? Is that how you decided you wanted to get into that? Yes, we did. Um, and so I live in rural Wisconsin and our agency was pretty upfront that if we wanted to adapt, we should pursue other avenues besides them. Um, so yes, we use a consultant and actually four things of why I wanted to start my own. Um, a lot of consulting companies discriminate or have like faith statements. So I really wanted to start something that was open to all, whether you were single no matter your sexual orientation, right? Um, as long as your heart is in the right place and I'm willing to be open into the education that I provide, um, then I'm happy to help. Uh, I also <laughs> um, really wanted to be honest. I felt like there are some really great consultants out there that I do have good relationships with, but I, in my experience, saw a lot of gloss over and I really wanted to be honest with the hopeful family as we'll get into, again, because I, I feel like the dishonesty or gloss over left me unprepared for some of the experiences I had in my journey. Um, and yeah, and I also wanted to keep it small, which obviously I work full time, but I also wanted to make sure that the family gets the time that they paid for and deserved. Um, unfortunately, in my experience, I was just added to an email list and I never even talked to the owner. Uh, and so that's also something I, I pride myself in and kind of keeping it small. Yeah. And personal is good. I think, you know, folks, I think would crave that you know, some personal attention. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome. And so you are helping families as they come to you and you make connections with agencies around the country. And is that how you're, how the consultancy, maybe I should just ask you this, how exactly, and we've talked about this on other podcasts, but explain again what a consultant does. Yeah, so I always explain, I feel like every consultant has their own definition of what a consultant is. Um, to me, a consultant, because that's my day job as well, but in the financial sector, is walking someone through a process, playing devil's advocate and talking them through and finding what fits best for them. So every family is different. Every client I work with during the day is different. And so that to me is what consulting is. Um, and so I work, you know, helping them find a place to get the home study, their profile design feedback, who they would want to get their profile design through, um, financial stuff, right, which kind of ties into my day job. Um, but how do they apply for grants? Do I, I've reviewed essay letters of what they should and shouldn't say in those, how to tactfully fundraise, which is a big thing we talk about. Um, I've consulted families before they had their first phone call with the expecting mom or if they're traveling, right? So I, I really am there throughout the whole process. Some consultants will, it's, you're added to an email list and you get expecting mom cases that you could present to. Right. Some consultants provide you a list of like agencies or other places you could go and register with yourself. Um, so everyone has kind of their own, I feel like definition and their own like packages, right? Of, right maybe profile design companies they're partnered with or whatever the case may be. Yeah, that's true. Uh, as, and it seems like there's more and more consultants that are out there that every time I turn around, there's another one. Uh, I'm like the middleman, right? Like yeah. I'm, I'm your guide throughout the process, but I'm kind of the middleman of connecting you with agencies and attorneys. Um, I've definitely gotten my foot in the door more as a consultant than I ever did as a hopeful family. And I've been around, right? Like I've been in the adoption world for six plus years now. So I kind of know reputations. I know um, all the hidden things too that you just might not be aware of, right? And, and one thing that's so huge with hopeful adoptive families, it's like, I don't know what to ask because I don't know what I don't know. Mm. <laughs> 
and you're being flood hosed by so much information that some of it is not retained, right? Like it's just, it's too much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We, we hear a lot of that, uh, overwhelm, confusion, too much information. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of consultants do have a place in, in the adoption world is breaking that all down. And the good ones, I think, do that. So I'm glad you're doing that. Uh, you got the experience to, to back all that up. Uh, so I guess we've kind of talked about this. And the next question was just how did you get so passionate about uh, changing the adoption world? And uh, But maybe you can expand on that a little bit. Just how did what, what fire or fuels your passion for changing the adoption world? Um, I mean, if you listen to the triads, there's obviously things that need to be improved, you know, in, in all parts of the corner. If you look at the history of adoption, too, you can really see why it is the way that it is. Um, and I think I mentioned, right, like I'm one person, but how can I make a small dent? And that's kind of how I came back to the consultant. And I came back to the hopeful family. If I could catch families in the beginning of their journey and preparing them as some of the things we're going to talk about that I wish I would have been prepared for. There are some really great, like I said, consultants and agencies, but there are some not so great ones that I feel like didn't do not properly prepare hopeful adoptive parents in knowledge of drug exposure and what the long-term effects of that is for their child and for the open adoption relationship, right? You are now facilitating an open adoption with a drug addict. And what is that going to look like? Um, Or transracial adoption education, which I feel like, you know, I was reading the stats today, like 70% of adoptions are white families and we continue to see the children that our adoption plans are being made of not be white. So with that, how are we educating families and preparing them when they come home instead of them being floored when they get home and trying to figure it out? Um, And adoption trauma, um, I think, you know, again, history-wise, we've talked about an infant being a clean slate and that's not the case there there is always trauma um even at at the newborn stage and how i guess how do you best prepare that hopeful adoptive parent to stand with that adoptee in their journey in identity and being you know as they grow up right they're not always going to stay a baby (laughs) um so that's yeah where my passion comes from of helping families be better for their adoptee children, I guess, and as they get older. Um, yeah, and just and also navigating things like I often talk about how therapy is so important, especially if you've experienced infertility, um, and processing that before you dive into adoption, and, and dealing with your own fears too, because I think that really ties in navigating a really good open for your child, which is, is better again for the adoptee. Yeah. So, yeah, there's just, I don't know, that's my passion is just educating people, whether they're in the adoption world or not, too. I'm definitely known for being an open book, um, even with my friend group. <laughs> so. Well, that's good. We need that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we need to work on changing the adoption world and making it better. And it has gotten better. I mean, I mean, you look back at the <laughs> last 20, 30 years, I mean, it's it's gone leaps and bounds better, but there's so much more yeah. to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get into the four things uh, in adoption that, that you say that you weren't prepared for. And I think a lot of people won't or will probably identify with. Uh, and I'm just going to read them out real quick, the four. And the, the first one's hospital. The second one is isolation third one is open adoption and the fourth one is transracial adoption and, and certainly these could be probably for individual podcasts because they're huge topics but let's talk about the first one <laughs> hospital uh so what weren't you prepared for what did you not see coming at or, or is it re- relates to the hospital when your kids were born yeah so again not knocking on agencies but i feel like as an adoption industry and even media, right? You look at movies, TV shows. Um, some of them have gotten better, I think, in the past couple of years. Um, but they really, I, I joke, but I use the word rainbow fi, <laughs> um, the adoption experience. And they often hold the adoptive parent on a savior pedestal. Um, and so you go, at least I went in our first experience in the hospital with that frame of mind, unfortunately. Um, that I was doing good and that I was going to be, I'm becoming a mom, which is the greatest day of my life. And um, 
not that it came crashing down because it, it was still one of the happiest days of my life. However, my daughter's birth mom handed her to me crying, right? Like her pain of losing a biological child and making an adoption plan. Um, and really the gravity of the fact that my child has lost its biology, right? We have open adoption, but that whole interaction, I, I guess I just fully did not prepare for. Um, and I wish someone would kind of have talked to me about that a little bit more or that I would have been more prepared for that. It's, it's um, yeah, we often want to, like, like I said, celebrate and it's more of a really sacred thing that I felt oh, so much joy, but so much sadness in the same moment I being know. there. That's crazy. And we went through it three times and it's, it never <laughs> got easier. I mean, we kind of knew what was coming based off the first one, but we weren't that prepared for the first one either. And it's, it is, it's, it's heart wrenching. It's, it, you can't explain it. Like you said, the range of emotions in a short period of time just blows you away. How can you possibly have a high, the high and a low, almost simultaneously? It's just it's crazy, but you're right. I think folks, at least to know that it happens, know that it probably will happen to you, is a big, big thing in helping them prepare. Did you experience kind of the same thing on both hospital experiences? Were both similar as far as that I up and down? you know, feeling that joy, but feeling the pain at the same time? Yeah, I think so, because it's still, again, I think about my child growing up, right? And I think about, yeah, the loss of bio, like I get to be a mom because of this loss, yeah. right? And so it's, it's, I always, I talk about this in my articles too, like you almost feel at fault, even though it's not, right? It's not the adoptive parent's fault. Um, you feel this guilt and you feel this pedestal thing again too, right? Of, of this perfection of being a perfect parent and the, the guilt too, I often talk about, um, whether it's warranted or not, right? Like it's, I get, I'm the person out of the triad that I get, I get the good out of it. Right. <laughs> and the other two get lost, <laughs> um, and trauma from it. Right. Um, yeah. And so that's, I think something that, that I wish I would have been, like I said, more prepared for. I think too, I, I really hadn't dove into adult adoptees and, you know, that adoptees are seven times more likely to commit suicide. Like those things, um, I think second time around were even more, uh, I was more aware and I was more prepared at least the second time, but I was more aware of, of all of that even more so than I was the first time. Um, but yeah, that's, I think, those are things I wish I would have been a little bit more prepared for. <laughs> and what what could have helped you prepare more for the first time around? If like you didn't know what to expect the first time around, what is it through your agency or who could have helped you prepare better? Um, I think, and I think a lot of adoptive parents, hopeful adoptive parents, are doing a really good job of this. Um, but I wish I would have listened more to adult adoptee voices. I wish I would have listened more to birth parent perspectives prior to our first adoption. Um, and they're, and they're not there to scare you. And for the most part, they're not there to discourage you from adopting. They're trying to teach you and help you adopt better. Right. And like to be a better adoptive parent for the adoptee, like that is their goal um, for the most part. Um, and, and, I think that's also where we come into the therapy stuff that I talk about. If you feel yourself as an adoptive parent or hopeful adoptive parent, putting a guard up or defensive, which is very common. And trust me, I even had my moments. Um, it, <laughs> you have to, when you feel yourself putting that guard up, try and put it down and try and really listen and try and understand. Cause like I said, it's, um, they're not, it's not you there. It's not personal and it's not your fault. It's not a guilt thing. It's how can we do this better? Um, and so I, I think that had I done that, I might've been a little bit more prepared, but as you said too, like there's nothing to really describe that hospital stay um, or visit. Um, and it's something that you do just experience. But I, like I said, I wish 
there were pieces I wish I would have been a little bit more prepared for the emotional aspect alone and just being, I was just so emotionally drained and physically drained. Absolutely. Too. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy uh, how much we were, we were drained up after that experience or all three experiences. Um, what do you think, uh, is there any tip or, or thought or something that you could share with the folks that you would say, Hey, um, this is what you should think about when you're going into your hospital experience, which means when you're at the hospital, if you get to be, hopefully you are, uh, get to be at the hospital uh, when your child is born and you get to hopefully meet and talk with the birth family. And it could be more than just the birth mom. It could be the birth dad could yep. be there. Is there anything you could think of or a, a top tip or, or two that you could give the folks for that kind of a, dealing with that kind of an experience? Ooh, okay. So two things. I always tell people be in the moment because I feel like a lot of adoptive parents hold the guard up because they're not sure this child is actually theirs. Um, and, and right. Cause she has every right to parent, That's right. That's right. but at the same time, this could be your child. And so be in the moment, take it all in. Um, and then also you are so privileged to be there to be invited, like you said, because oftentimes um, that's not the case. I, I feel very privileged to have had both of those experiences, to be invited to the hospital, to if you were invited in a room, if you have open contact with the birth parents at the hospital, like that is such a privilege for you to be there because this is their child that they are choosing you to parent, right? And Keeping that in the back of your head, even if that has to be a mantra of if you're frustrated about whatever X, Y, Z, it is a privilege that you are there, that you are able and invited to be included in that. Absolutely. Well said. I love that. That's spot on. You know, exactly right. Keep that in, in your mind as you, if you get that opportunity. Okay, yeah. let's move on to the second thing uh, that you say you weren't prepared for, and that is isolation. What was your experience and how could have you been prepared better for that? Ooh, okay. So I often describe this as I think we, we think more, this is my experience. We think more highly of our friends and family maybe than um, I, my initial experience was. Um, I unfortunately had friends who really didn't take time to understand the adoption process things that I really, and it's not like I wanted them to read 15 books or anything like that, but to understand it enough to use the right terminology around my child, to understand some of those things around my child that they didn't take the time to understand. Um, it was also really hard for me to find other adoptive parents in my area that I connected with and that we agreed on kind of the same level set. So unfortunately, I'll just use the, the example of like the saviorism. I definitely met quite a few adoptive parents who believe that they were saving their child from this bad situation. And I just didn't see eye to eye on the way that they viewed adoption. Um, so in that case, I would definitely recommend like online, online support, like groups have been amazing for me to find other adoptive parents who are like-minded like me and want to do education and advocacy to change the adoption world and focus on ethics and support for the like post birth parents too. Um, so those, you know, find your own group that way. Um, the other thing too is, which we'll get into with the transracial adoption, but I think all Often as white think we are not surrounded by racism or that our friends and family don't have biases or racism and, and they definitely do. Everyone has biases, um, no matter who they are. <laughs> and so I think that was also really eye-opening just in even the community I live in that I had to experience kind of some of those things firsthand, even though my son is only two. Um, it's been very eye-opening, and I thought I was educated enough on that. Those are some of the things I was not prepared for. Um, and, it, and it makes you feel, as we talked about, just like really isolated. Like you feel, especially when you come home, you feel really alone. You feel like no one gets it, <laughs> um, and no one understands 
kind of all the emotions too, as we just talked about, right? You come back from the hospital and that is a very roller coaster experience of emotions. And then you come home and you almost want to vent or have someone to talk to about it. And you may have a significant other, which is awesome, but it's, you just feel so alone and like you, something is wrong with you for having all these feelings. (laughs) That's so true. And there are so many feelings uh, that, yeah, it, it, can get overwhelming and if you don't have anybody to connect with that's been through something that you are going through or went through it's really hard yeah and and online's good but boy it doesn't doesn't really hold water to talking to somebody face to face you know so yeah. that's that's obviously the best but yeah online is certainly and some uh, online groups i found were really like toxic too so it that is i don't true like too. finding the right group of support um i don't know some facebook group, i can't do facebook groups anymore they just i can't can't do it um you know good for hopeful adoptive parents and adoptive parents who found a good facebook group that they like but i just i can't do it anymore um and like i said and even that right like again i will keep hitting home the therapy but also like taking things for you, right? Like I know that those groups are not good for me. So I'm just not, I just just don't partake in them. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And the other thing too, with isolation is just the guilt that I always talk about too. I think often we come home and whether it's merited or not, there's this guilt, right? Like that um, of all the things that have culminated, right? Um, Based on your choice to adopt, right? And I think that's something that I mean, there are times that I still struggle with. Um, (laughs) Earlier, I shared um, with Tim that my daughter broke her wrist and having to tell her birth parents that, right? Like, I feel like I failed and like, that's not something I should have felt like, right? (laughs) But but you, you again, with the pedestal, you hold yourself to a higher standard of a parent. And I feel like I let something happen to her. I let something happen to our child. (laughs) whether that's merited or not, right? That's still that very valid feeling that I have in my head that I need to grapple with, right? So there are times that that bubbles up of that guilt or that pressure um, for whatever reason that, that we all, I think, are dealing with yeah. to some degree. You know, and I think podcasts like this really help with isolation too. I think if you can listen to folks like you and me that talk about our experiences and what we've done and how we've dealt with it, I think it certainly will help others uh, not feel so isolated to you like okay there's somebody else that dealt with this and, and felt that same way so I'm not the only one in the world that way uh, so that's that's good stuff uh, how could you have felt or how could you have been better prepared for that I guess maybe listening to other people's experiences yeah again trying to find that like group of people online yeah, yeah. Um, um yeah and I think like I said just being prepared, like I said, that people might um, not like pleasantly surprise you, right? Like, I, I don't know, I guess I just held people to a higher <laughs> expectation. And I was surprised um, in the in the not great way um, of people's disinterest or um, yeah, the, the, yeah, the disinterest of really understanding things. And I, um, it's not like I said, just understanding the adoption process, but why it was so important to me for my child, right? Like uh, you're going to be around my child. I want you to use the right terms. I, you know, I don't want you to say that they were given up for example, right. around her. Um, so why it's imp- like, I feel like if, if I'm making it a point, like it's important to me, which especially mama bear comes out right um, at that point. And yeah, the people who don't take an interest of why it's important to you, um, they're not, you know, then you move on and you find other people who do. And I have, I found a great support group now. Um, but yeah, it, t- it takes, a, it's definitely some growing pains. <laughs> yeah. Support group uh, is certainly helpful before and after you adopt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's move on to the third one, which is open adoption, which is a huge topic. We've talked about it many, many, many times on the podcast here. And for good reason, it's a, it's certainly a huge thing that you as a hopeful adoptive parent uh, coming into adoption, need to know what it is, how to handle it, um, and learn from other people's experiences. Uh, but what was your experience so far, and how could you have been prepared better for open adoption? Oh, that's a good one. 
Um, so I think we often go in it with expectations that are unrealistic or too high of an expectation. The other thing I often, when I coach hopefully after parents, there's this huge fear. And again, that's that whole working through your own feelings before adapting. Um, this fear of that you're sharing this sharing this child or co-parenting, right? That's not, that's not what open adoption is. Typically open adoption is, you know, a video or a photo update. Um, and sometimes it goes beyond that where I mentioned like we FaceTime and we do visits and stuff like that, but it looks different for every family. Um, it, open adoption is like any other relationship. It takes work, it takes time, it takes energy. It's not like we got to FaceTime on day one. <laughs> Um, and it changes, it evolves. And I think that's so, even now the agencies that are doing a good job of having like a, a set form where a hopeful couple and the expecting parents at that time felt their expectations of each other, it changes. Both lives change. Um, that child grows up too, right? And their interests come into play as well. Um, so I think having that in mind that it, it can ebb and flow. It's interesting to me though, when someone comes into something, into adoption and they have, I want an open adoption. I want this and this. And I'm like, that's great. Might not happen that way, right? Like it, it might not play out that way. And that's great that you have this goal. Let's say it's a goal <laughs> um, because otherwise you, then you, if you set these expectations and you're set yourself up for disappointment or for frustration, and then that leads to communication issues and problems with your open adoption. The other thing too is like focusing again on the adoptee, what's best for them. Um, psychologically speaking, open adoption is best. It is, should be commonly suggested by the agency if it's not. Um, most adoptions are open now to some degree. And that's the other thing I should mention too since I have hopeful adoptive parents listening. <laughs> With open adoption, you are not sealing the record. And so if you've read anything about the history of adoption, closed adoptions used to be very common for a lot of reasons. One of them being it seals your child's records, um, which causes a whole sorts of issues for them as they get older. Um, so even if it's open and you guys don't communicate, maybe the birth parents don't wanna talk right now, which is fine. Um, and they're grieving, <laughs> um, so they have every right to take a break, but then at least the records are not sealed. They're available to your child, you and I would definitely advocate getting an original birth certificate for them with their birth parents' names on it, um, because that's so important to adoptees, and, and again, I always try and put myself in other people's shoes. If I were the birth mom, right, or if I were the adoptee, I would want to know my biology. I would want that, right? So it's available to your child if they want it. Um, and yeah, and that's the other thing. As it ebbs and flows, remember that they are going either through grieving, they might have things going on in their life that they're not responding to for whatever reason. That doesn't mean you stop trying to reach out unless they ask you to stop. <laughs> um, but like even in closed adoptions or even when there's a season, so to speak, where they're not responding, still continue to reach out still continue to send them stuff. If you don't have that as an option, if it is closed and it's sealed, um, I always recommend getting like a big tote <laughs> and keeping your kids artwork, um, clothing that they might've worn, whatever keepsake items so, and split them up. So obviously you probably want some and your kid might want some, but keep a bin. And if they do ever come into the picture, you have this bin of their life that is available to them. And how cool is that? Um, and I send, so the one when I have, I obviously, like I said, I have open adoption, but I send like artwork, I send ornaments that have been made. Um, and I, I think that that's awesome. You're including them um, to some degree in, in that. Um, but yeah, it doesn't mean that like, they, again, it's not co-parenting. So it doesn't mean that as a birth parent that they help make decisions in parenting and they are counseled on that. They understand that. They understand when they're signing, they're signing their rights as a parent of this child away. Um, but I think it's, you know, like I said, including them and it's for a child, right? Of of the fact that you, you reached out and you have this, this relationship. And I always think about if my child grows up, right? We often focus so much on the baby, but they grow up. And I think about, especially my daughter, if she ever wants to family plan 
or, um, you know, have a baby of her own, I will never be able to speak to her about being pregnant. Um, and there's just like medical things or family history that would be so important to her. But um, that's something that her birth mom will be able to talk to her about that I won't. And that's, I think about it as another person that loves your child, right? And that what's wrong with that? I mean, that's, I'm just another person, like I said, that can support and be there for your child. They don't need to pick between you and the birth parents. <laughs> so what would have prepared you more for open adoption before you, I mean, I, I think you probably, after your first one, you, you got a glimpse of that and you started realizing and you were, were working on your relationship. But the first one, what could have prepared you more for open adoption then? Ooh, so I'll tell this story. I don't tell it very often. Um, so my daughter's adoption is actually closed. So I learned a lot, our first adoption, which is probably also what drives my passion. Um, our agency told us she didn't want contact and told her that we didn't want contact. Oh. Um, and so we both were pretty much lied to, mm. um, I think, to make it easier. Right. And I contacted her against attorney and agency advice probably when my daughter was about six months old because I couldn't leave it be because I kept thinking about my daughter getting older and I wanted to be able to tell her that I did everything I could in my power to have this open relationship, whatever it may look like. Um, and I'm so glad I did because obviously it's now blossomed into what it is. Um, but it has evolved in way more than I ever anticipated. Um, I think most adoptive parents too can relate. Like I love my kids' birth parents so much. I get, I get more triggered or defensive about comments about birth parents than I do about adoptive parents. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think again, listening to adoptee voices on why that open adoption, even if it's like I said, for medical history, why it's so important to them and their identity and who they are as a person as they get older, mm -hmm. um, seeing awesome relationships between adoptees and birth parents and their adoptive parents has been awesome. Like there's a great podcast, Dimples, um, an adoption that is the birth mom and an adoptee. Like Seeing those, I think, um, helped prepare me. Uh, and then, like I said, too, just talking, like, in talking to birth parents, too, about how much of a relief it is to get a photo, right? Again, and I put my, I put my hat on of if I were a birth parent, right, which I'm not, but if I were, like, I think that those would mean the world to me, right? And um, so I think, again, <laughs> Tying back to what we were talking about before, but listening to adoptees and birth parents on why that relationship is so important, and then you can see it for yourself with your own child of why it's so important um, and why you want to keep working on it. And um, like I said, it is like any relationship; it does take energy and time and, and effort and work, um, but I think it's so worth it. And um, I love even having relationships with the extended family. Uh, and recently, I just made a Shutterfly book of my kiddos' birth parents when they were kids, and then as they grew up, and then I included extended family, so like biological grandparents, aunts, um, any, any, basically any pictures birth parents gave me <laughs> that I could get my hands on. And then I, at the end, decided to include my husband and I as kids too growing up, because I don't know, I thought that would be cool to include us all. Yeah. My daughter loves that book, like absolutely loves it. She's obsessed with it. Um, and yeah, and I just think it's cool to incorporate kind of everyone. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that kind of tells the story right there about why it's important. Um, I mean, your daughter's not that old yet, but she's old enough to know and start putting that together. Like, okay, I have my birth family and my mom and dad here. And starting to uh, understand the, the differences and the, and the connections and that she is loved by more people. Yeah, I'll, if I'll add one other thing to that. If you are an adoptive parent, it's so important to just tell them right away, like yes. at birth. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, it's so much easier to, and, and as they get older, it becomes more age appropriate. Um, but my daughter and... And it's not like where you sit down and have this conversation. It comes up at the most random times. You will not be prepared. Um, <laughs> or it'll, I think, like, 
ask time, we'll have a conversation. It's like two weeks later in some random time, right? Um, so you will never be prepared for some of the questions. Um, but if you could kind of prepare yourself ahead and know too that you're a kid, even when they're little. Um, so my daughter at the age of four already recognized, um, she made a, a very profound statement that I share with people on social media. Um, she wanted to be a mom and not a birth mom. Mm. And she's, she's only, you know, one of the typical girls that carries dolls around and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just thought that was so profound for a four-year-old. Absolutely. And I, was, I, you know, you just, you keep pushing it off as an adoptive parent. Like, oh yeah, we'll have more deeper conversations about this later on in life. Right. No, no, we're having it at four. Yeah. <laughs> um, so go. that's also something I like to remind people. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do too. That's a great point. I share that my story was uh, on our first adoption. Our daughter was probably two or three. And I just started at night when we go to bed to start telling her her adoption story, which is just very simplistic because she's she was so young at the time. But just telling her the story of how we came to, you know, be a family. Mm -hmm. And she just loved she wanted to hear that every single night. She asked for it every single night. Uh, and then I just eventually told more and more of the story, right, as she got older. So, I mean, eventually she didn't want stories at bedtime, but <laughs> it set the stage of, like you said, not going, oh, we have to have a sit-down moment here and tell you that you are adopted. No, mm -hmm. you just you just build it into your you normal, it. everyday lives. And, and, yeah, and however it works for you. And, but uh, yep. start early and start often. Yeah, yeah. good stuff. Okay, the last thing, the fourth thing you should prepare for is another big topic, transracial adoption, uh, which you're, you've experienced and you are experiencing. And what, it, what has been your experience so far? And I know you talked about it a little bit earlier, uh, but how could you have been prepared, better prepared for that? Yeah, so again, not to knock on, on the home study or the agencies, but I had no transracial adoption education for my home study, which pretty crazy to me. Um, I think it should be required as a piece, right? Not all, but a piece of right. your home study, especially I think my state is at 24 hours, right? Like a couple of those hours could have been dedicated to yes. Yes. <laughs> um, transracial adoption education. I think oftentimes I see um, parents who think like love is enough um, or they want to be colorblind. Um, I think that this is if you listen to adoptees, this is really detrimental to them in establishing who they are as a person and their identity as they get older. Um, being able to celebrate their heritage and um, give them confidence and whether that be too, also deciding where you live in your community, um, who attends your church, are there people around your child that look like them? Are there books in your house that reflect their the way that they look are there and are they positive too right are the books that you have in your home positive characters tv shows there's you know so many things and, and you know i do a lot of i do hair care stuff too because i i get on my soapbox about hair care um because in in african-american culture hair care is very important and it's important because it's bonding with your child and so to not learn how to do it or to pay someone else to do it kind of defeats the purpose. Mm. <laughs> um, and also <laughs> kind of all the things that come with the hair care and the history of that for, again, for the African culture. So I'm, again, I'm a big history nerd, as you can tell, just in adoption world and in culture too. Um, but if you, like I said, listen to adoptees, why this is so important to see your child's color, to make changes in your life, not saying any of this is easy and anything we've talked about today, none, you know, none of it's easy, um, but things that can help better prepare your child for life because they're not always going to be, well, how do I want to say this, covered or, you know, covered by your whiteness, right? They are going to have a completely different experience in life, especially as they get older um, than you do. And so if you can prepare and help them in any way, that's where that kind of whole dynamic comes in and why I feel like education on this topic is so important. It's also, as I mentioned too, very common. Transracial adoption is 
very, very, very common now. Seventy um, percent, I think, like said, of couples that are adopting are white, and um, the majority of children that are an adoption plan is being made for are not. So, how can we support these parents to better adopt? Yeah, I think it's great. Uh, you're so right in that you cannot gloss over it and just go, "Oh, we'll just be a family," and that doesn't really matter that. We have different skin colors. It, it will matter. Whether you want it to or not, it's going to matter. <laughs> and that's to everybody they meet, or not everybody, but people that they meet out in the community. I mean, you don't know what they're going to run into. So you owe it to not just yourself, but especially your child to help prepare mm-hmm. them for what they can run into and, and what they are going to experience. And like you said, they're just the culture. I mean, that's part of their identity, part of who they are. So I think it's super important to... Yeah, and my son is two, and he already identifies that his skin color is different than mine. And he, we have, like, he has teachers who are the same race as him, and he will point, he points out that they have the same, that they look like him. Um, And he's two. So it's, you know, again, it's not something that's just, like, farther on in life. No, no, yeah. And it's, it's something you need to prepare for. It's not an easy thing. I don't think any of this is what we're talking about is easy necessarily, but and that's why we're talking about it. It's something you need to do and focus on, prepare yourself for, educate yourself on, uh, and continue to do it. Uh, it's not something necessarily you only do before you adopt. Some, a lot of the stuff you can do as you're adopting, after you adopt, mm-hmm. all those things, because mm-hmm. you, you, and there's so many transracial adoptees now on social media who are doing amazing work and consulting and one-on-one hair care training classes and one-on-one um, even like mentorships for your child that, that you can sign up for. There's amazing resources out there. There's awesome books too. Um, one of my favorite books that I always recommend is called Somebody's Children. It's about the politics of transracial and transnational adoption and also gets into the history but it talks too about how many um many uh, couples of color who are trying to adopt were discriminated against mm. and why it's now a shift of more white families that are adopting mm. um and there's a whole obviously other pieces of this book but i really like kind of again explaining why we are where we are in the current adoption world and how can we kind of combat some of that or alter some of those things? And like I said, to prepare those adoptive parents better. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. That's always been a hard thing to do is uh, come up with a good list of resources for folks because there's so many different uh, things out there and it's changing a lot uh, as we go. Uh, but if you could give the folks listening, maybe your top, two to three tips of something that's going to help them better prepare for their adoption, say that they've never adopted before and they're just hearing you for the first time, hearing what things they should prepare for for the first time. What, what, if you had to boil it down to your top two or three tips, what would you say? I think I have more than two or three, but um, I'll preface too that I'm I'm pretty blunt, (laughs) which I'm sure you've figured out in this interview. Um, but yeah, so I always like to prepare families. Again, I feel like this might not be done from the home study agency, but there are 36 waiting families for every single domestic newborn adoption. So there's not a need, right? right? You and, and there are 36 other families just with you trying to adopt. So it's like one, almost 2 million couples in the United States right now who are trying to adopt. I preface that because that's something so important to think about right again in that whole privilege piece. Um, Be open-minded. Don't go in with expectations. Nothing is a guarantee, which we kind of talked about already today. Um, Ashley Mitchell, so she's the owner of Lifetime Healing, and she does a lot of work for birth moms post-care. But she always always says, if you're not flexible, don't adopt. And I love that. That's very Um, true. do Do the work in education. And we talked about this too, like education doesn't stop. So even though you brought your child home, there's things that are always coming out that are new and again, improving the generations of adoption. So that's my big, like, I don't know, I guess my big thing is like, if we can not make things perfect, because I don't think it'll ever be perfect, but if we can improve things for the next generation, um, then I'm all here for it. Um, Try to listen to adoptees and birth parent voices. 
um, their perspectives and learn from history to not repeat it. So again, that's just kind of all the things we've already talked about today. And then my North Star is always my children. So whenever you are making a decision in anything in your adoption journey, think about your future child and not just as a newborn, but as they grow up and what would be best for them or what they would want you to do. And so that's, you know, we, we can talk about when my daughter was six months old and I reached out to her birth mom against <laughs> advice, right? My North Star was my daughter and that I could tell her I did everything I could to have an open adoption for her to have that connection with her biology. So that's something I always try and tell hopeful, hopeful adoptive parents is keep that as your North Star. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well said. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to get some great uh, help with this podcast. So thank you for coming on and sharing your heart and your stories uh, for for everyone to better their adoption adventures. So how can folks find you and connect with you? You're at, uh, you started your company, Love Grown Adoption Consulting, and, and that's lovegrownadoptionconsulting.com. Is that where the main place people can find you? Yeah, yep. So I'm on Instagram and my handle is Love Grown Adoption Consulting. I'm also on Facebook, but Instagram, I do a ton of collaborations with birth parents and adoptees. Uh, I do a lot of free guides and videos and things like that, that I would definitely recommend checking out whether you want to become a client or not. There's a lot of great resources free. Uh, and then yes, my website is www.lovegrownadoptionconsulting.com. You can book free 30 minute consults with me. I have an FAQ page on there that might be helpful um, and some video and tutorial things on my website, again, that are all free resources for you. You have some great videos on your website, by the way. I love those. Uh, Thank you. They're with uh, not just adoptive families, but birth moms. Um, it's just it's good stuff. Uh, people should check those out. Uh, yeah, they'll get a lot out of it. So thank you, Paige, for coming on the show today. Thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. It went so fast, and uh, we'll have to probably have you back on again to, to uh, there's a lot more things we can touch on i'm sure in the adoption world so thanks for joining me today yeah of course thanks for having me all right great interview with Paige uh from lovegrownadoptionconsulting.com uh just man these four the four things that we talked about you should be prepared for are just huge and certainly we could have talked a lot more about them, but I hope you got a lot out of this interview and just helped you think about things uh, as you go through and prepare for adoption or you're going through an adoption now, or maybe you've already adopted. These are all great things to consider, learn about, think about, and uh, just uh, hopefully prepare yourself as you experience them. So uh, go to infantadoptionguide.com forward slash 81. That will be where the show notes are for this episode. You can and find out uh, everything that we talked about in this episode will be there, including links. And I invite you to, while you're at infinitadoptionguide.com, join our Facebook group. We talked about that a little bit in the, in the episode today about support. And I've got a great group that I'm the admin for, and it's only for hopeful adoptive families, or if you've already adopted. And it's, this is great support group of a couple thousand people now. And we are just there holding each other's hands, helping us through uh, what we've got going on in, in our adoption adventures. So go to infiniteadoptionguide.com forward slash Facebook, or while you're on the page, the, at the top of the page, you used to join the Facebook group. And I will let you in and I'll talk to you inside that Facebook group because I'm in there all the time. So thank you so much for joining me today. And until next time, you are in my prayers as you go on the journey to build your family through infinite adoption. God bless. Thanks for listening to my dad.